I'm reminded of that prophetic word that Simeon spoke to Mary and Joseph when they brought Jesus to be circumcised, as was the custom in that day. And he told them that he would be their son. He blessed them and said that he would be the rise and fall of many in Jerusalem and that he would be for a sign and that there would be a sword that would pierce Mary's heart in what Jesus was going to have to accomplish upon that cross and laying his life down for us. And uh, what, what a blessing to know that we have a king, a warrior king, one who always leads us in triumph, one who has gone before us and set the example that we may be able to follow and walk in in fellowship and harmony with him. Well, it is a blessing to be with y'all today. I've been looking forward to coming out and fellowshipping with y'all. I want to tell y'all up front and thank you for taking care of my, my daughter and my, my son-in-law. Uh, I think you've got two blessed uh, people of God that are going to be a blessing to y'all as y'all have been a blessing to them. And we thank you for being gracious and generous and looking after them and watching them grow in the Lord as Pleasant Hill continues to mature in the faith and grow as a corporate body to accomplish the vision that God has for you at this church to reach Clark County and to reach Lauderdale County, just to spread out and, and see souls saved and God's kingdom advanced in these days. And I want to thank y'all. Thank you for the opportunity to be able to stand before you today. I talked with Brother Robert this morning. He wanted me to let y'all know that he loves y'all. He cares for y'all and can't wait to get back on the mission field right here and be with y'all soon. I, I think they're coming in the night at some point. I'm not 100% sure exactly when. But uh, I, as uh, Brother Rogers already asked you to pray for them as they, as they would travel on their way back. I want you to take your copy of God's Word this morning. We're going to look at two places. Well, we may look at several places. But in particular, I want you to turn to 2 Corinthians chapter number 1 and verse number 12. And also in Matthew chapter number 6. And verse number 33. So two spots in your Bible. When you find 2 Corinthians chapter 1 and verse number 12, hold your spot there and turn to Matthew chapter 6 and verse number 33. Matthew 6, verse number 33. It's always good to hear Bibles turning. Amen? And y'all know saying amen to a preacher is like saying sick them to a bulldog. I'm an evangelist. I travel and get to preach the gospel all over. I know you as a church are familiar with evangelists. Y'all have one of your very own that has gone out and to do the work of the uh, evangelist and now pastoring again, Brother Kevin Ivey. So y'all are familiar. And you know, evangelists, they, they like to amen every once in a while. And they like when the church amens with them. Amen? Amen. So if you would stand in honor and reverence to the reading of God's Word, beginning in Matthew chapter 6, verse number 33. But seek ye first the kingdom of God and His righteousness, and all things shall be added unto you. Now turn to 2 Corinthians chapter number 1 and verse number 12. The Apostle Paul says, For our rejoicing is this, the testimony of our conscience that in simplicity and godly sincerity, not with fleshly wisdom, but by the grace of God, we had our conversation in the world and more abundantly to youward. Would you pray with me? Father, 
I come before you this morning and I want to humble myself in your sight and I just ask you, Lord, to anoint me, your man this morning that has been given the privilege and the authority to open up the word of God and proclaim what you've laid upon my heart. And oh God, I can't do it unless you will give me unction to be able to preach and teach thy word. And Father, I ask you to help me expound on your scriptures. We know that when you open up the word of God to your people, you will open up our hearts to your ways. And Lord, we will move away from a place of dullness and slow response to you. And you will give us a passion, Lord, to respond faithfully to your word. So we ask you by the power of your Holy Spirit that you would teach us today the scriptures. We know outside of you opening it and giving us understanding, we will not be able to comprehend it the way that you intended it to be. So we're totally dependent upon you to help us this uh, morning, this Lord's day, this day that you have made, a day of salvation, a day that we can rejoice and be glad in. And we seek thy face and ask you to help us, your people, Lord, know you more intimately and to live to make you known. For we give you the praise and the glory in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. Seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things shall be added unto you. The Apostle Paul in 2 Corinthians chapter 1 and verse 12, he said, For our rejoicing is this, and, and I, I think this is very significant for us because he says that our rejoicing is this, the testimony or the witness of our conscience. The word conscience means with knowledge. He's saying that the life that we have lived, we bear witness to that and the, the conduct of our daily walk has been in such a way that it has been in simplicity and godly sincerity and we rejoice over that. Now, if I was to ask you, would you be able to say that you and I have lived this past year in simplicity and godly sincerity? Well, what does the word simplicity mean? It means the idea of becoming one. It's the concept of having a mindset that is single-mindedness. It's like when a lady will take her hair and braid it. Ladies, have you ever braided your hair and you took all your hair and braided it together and you made one braid? It's, it's the idea of two things or several things that all come together to be made one. And Paul is saying that we have lived our life in such a way that our mindset and our eyes have been set on one thing and that is to please our Heavenly Father. We lived in such a way that we gave our entire life to seeing that we would know Him more intimately and personally and to make Him known around the world. And that we were able to rid our lives of things that would distract us from this aim and our conscience bears witness that we have not been pulled apart from that task and we have kept the faith, we have run the race, and we're enduring in what God has called us to do. Now, if we were to survey in this congregation this morning, amongst all of us, could we say that our conscience bears witness 
that we can rejoice over the fact that I have been single-minded in my pursuit of seeking first the kingdom of God and His righteousness. But for some of us in here, we'd be able to say, yes, that's that's me. I, I, I can rejoice. My conscience bears witness that I have sought God's face I have obeyed His voice. I have repented when He has led me to repentance. I have not been free of sin, but I'm not under the guilt or the power of sin no longer because Jesus has rescued my life and set me on a course to walk with Him. I have gone where He's told me to go. I have talked with whom He's told me to talk with. I have been with whom He's told me to be with. I have served whom He's told me to serve. I have followed His leadership and my conscience bears witness that I am free of guilt and shame of doing what God called me to do. Some people in here would be able to say that. But I'm willing to say that the majority of us in here would be able to say that my conscience can't bear witness. That I've been distracted in things. I've got caught up in maybe some things. Over in Matthew, if you'll look over there, Matthew 6, notice what the Lord says about Worrying. How many of you know that worrying or taking, taking thought of things that are not in line with God is called sin? Are you with me? That deserved a what? And amen. Amen. Listen, watch what he says. Look if you would in Matthew 6. Let's start in verse number 24. No man can serve two masters, for either he will hate the one and love the other, or else he will hold to the one and despise the other. Ye cannot serve God and mammon. Therefore I say to you, take no fault, or worry not for your life, what ye shall eat or what ye shall drink, nor ye yet for your body for What ye shall put on is not life more than meat and the body than raiment. Behold the fowls of the air, for they sow not, neither do they reap nor gather into barns. Yet your heavenly Father feedeth them. Are ye not much better than they? Which of you by taking thought can add one cubit unto his stature? And why take ye thought for raiment? Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow. They toil not, neither do they spin. And yet I say unto you that even Solomon in all his glory was not arrayed like one of these. Wherefore, if God so clothed the grass of the field, which today is and tomorrow is cast into the oven, shall he not much more clothe you? O ye of little faith. Therefore, take no thought, saying, What shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or wherewith shall we be clothed? For after all these things do the Gentiles. And that word Gentile means the ungodly, the heathen. For your heavenly Father knoweth that ye have need of all these things. But notice what he says, as a, as a living principle of priority in our life. But seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all things shall be added unto you. Seek ye first. I call this the principle of priority. 
Because it's significant in our life. Do you realize that unless God accepts us, he won't accept what we do? Did you hear what I just said there? Unless God accepts us where we are and what we're doing, what we are before him, he does not accept what we do. Kind of like a Cain and Abel. You recall Cain and Abel, how how one brought an acceptable sacrifice unto the Lord. Why? Because God accepted Abel. But Cain brought an unacceptable sacrifice to God. Why? Because God did not accept Cain. When our hearts are detached and distracted from the principle of seeking first the kingdom of God... It really does not matter what we do on a daily basis. The Lord does not accept us, nor will he accept what we do. So this is very crucial. The idea of seeking first the kingdom is so fundamental. It doesn't say seek the kingdom first when you're going to do church things. It doesn't say seek the kingdom first when you're going to do godly things. It says seek ye as a way of living, always in everything, seek first as a primary priority the kingdom of God and therefore do not be preoccupied with the affairs of the world around you. Because it's in seeking first the kingdom of God, that is the area in which God reigns and rules over, where his ways are subject to his people, when we seek that first, when we strive to be about that, it's then when we interact with the things around us in this world, we can have an influence upon it in a godly way. But if we let our circumstances govern our life, we cannot impact the world the way that God intended us to impact the world. Would you agree with me? It's an impossibility. When you think about the reason why God delivered you or rescued you from your, your sin, when you think about the word salvation, the idea of salvation is that God delivered you from that which was dangerous or that which was harmful, that which was deadly and destructive, and that is sin. For the wages of sin is death. For the soul that sinneth shall surely die. God delivers us from that, but he delivers us into a refuge of safety and also a place of service. In my encountering the people of God across the southern parts of the United States as a pastor for seven and a half years and now an evangelist for a year, what I've come to find is that there are many people who can stand up and say, yes, make a profession, I've been saved. But there's very little evidence in some of those cases that they've been delivered from something to something. And folks, if you've been rescued by Jesus, you've been delivered from sin and the things of this world and been delivered to the service of the King of kings and the Lord of lords. And if we're going to serve that king, 
We've got to seek first the kingdom, Him, and where He reigns so that we can flourish in His identity in this old world we live in. Most of the time, if you was to ask someone, why did God save you? Their first response is to save me from hell. And I want to tell you, that is a wonderful benefit, amen? To know you've been saved from the wrath of God and from a place of eternal damnation and separation from Him, that is worthy to rejoice over and be thankful for. And the next time, the next question they would tell you, that He saved me so that I could go to heaven and be with Him in heaven. And yes, we can rejoice over that and celebrate together over the fact that He is He has done such a work in our life that we are we are able to go spend an eternity with him. But folks, that's not the primary reasons why Jesus saved you. Jesus rescued your life so that you can live in intimate fellowship with him. Not so that we can go to heaven one day. Yes, that is a benefit. That is a byproduct. But you know what? He wants to live and rule and reign and be intimately involved in every dynamic of my life here. Amen? Every bit of it. It's not that he comes and gets involved in my life. No, he invites me to get involved in his work, in his life on this earth. And that's the blessing. That God Almighty would take somebody like you and like me and invite us to come alongside and be in agreement with him and be about his work on this earth. Not us inviting him to get involved in our work, but we're invited to get involved in his work. Amen? Makes a whole big difference, doesn't it? And if I'm invited to be involved in his work, I need to seek what that work is. And that has to be a priority in my life. Three times in the text that we've read in Matthew 6, he says, do not worry or take no thought. The idea, have you ever heard of anyone being uh, tortured where they would take missionaries back years ago? And it, this still happens today around the world. But they would take people who identified themselves with the Lord Jesus Christ and they would torture them ungodly heathen that hated everything about the Lord and they would try to persecute the church and, and, and God's church flourishes doing persecution. But there was times when we read reports of how they would torture them. What they would do at times, they would stretch them apart. They would take their arms and they would hold their arms out and their legs out and literally they would rip their bodies apart through that torturing process to kill them. Some of them, they would put on a stake and they would, they would crucify. Matter of fact, the apostle Peter was crucified from what we know of history upside down because he said he didn't want to be crucified right side up like his Lord and Savior. He wasn't worthy to be crucified in such a manner. And there was other people that they would put and they would put in the middle of a tar pit and they would light it up around them and they would be consumed with flames and literally perish before the people's eyes. But we believe as believers absent from the body is present with the Lord. Amen. What can man do unto us? But folks, the problem that we find is that we often torture ourselves. How do we do that? We, our minds are torn apart and distracted on this thing and on that thing. And, 
and we get caught up in what the world is doing around us and, and we want to have the best hunting leases. And we want to have the best mules and four-wheelers. And, and we want to have the best houses and the prettiest churches and the greatest lawns. And we want to have the greatest clothes and go to the best bargains. And we get caught up with the world around us in this flow of society because we're not making it a priority in our life to seek first the kingdom of God and His righteousness. And we become impotent. We can't have an effect. There's no power to change our society around us by the gospel because we are torn apart ourselves. Literally, people in our day have a way of debating and thinking, well, should I go to fellowship today or should I go to the hunting lease this weekend? Should I stay home and cook because I got family coming in or should I gather with the elect of God and celebrate the goodness of what God has done and be an example to my family how precious it is to be in communion with God's people. Our minds are so torn apart today. I mean, we build our churches around fellowships hall so we as Baptists can eat. Are you with me? Isn't that a common saying that, hey, if you're a Baptist, you gotta, if you're a Baptist preacher, you must like fried chicken. You know what I mean? You must like chocolate pies and you must like, and, 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 and we get so consumed with that which will not live past the day. And we miss doing that which will have an eternal impact upon the kingdom of God. I believe that God wants to be so intimately involved in the work that is happening on this planet and in this church that he has done everything needful to get us to a place through the delivering power of the blood of Jesus and the life sacrifice of Christ so that we can live in intimate fellowship with him. Why is it so important? To live in intimate fellowship with Jesus. Because if we're not in fellowship with him, we can't follow him. And Jesus said he'd come to make followers, didn't he? And he says, if you follow me, I'll make you what? Fishers of men. Love those that love you. Is that what it says? It says love who? That's hard, isn't it? That's literally an impossibility in the natural. If you're anything like me, I can't love my enemy outside of God loving them through me. Amen. Not only love your enemies, but do good to them which do good to them. Do good to them which hate you. Notice what verse 28 says. Bless them that curse you and pray for them which despitefully use you. And unto him that smiteth thee on the one cheek, offer also the other cheek. Now, as I was brought up and raised, I was taught to defend myself. And if somebody hit me, you fight back. But it was an amazing thing when I come into the kingdom of God. Everything I was taught as a boy on how to live and live with pride and do everything I could and receive personal glory. Jesus changed all that for me. Amen. He sure disrupted my life. Verse number 30. Give to every man that ask of thee and of him that taketh away thy goods. Ask them not again. Man. 
Verse 31, And as you would that men should do to you, you also do to them. For if ye love them which love you, what thank ye have? For sinners also love those that love them. And if you do good to them which do good to you, what thank ye have ye? For sinners also do even the same. And if ye lend to them of whom to have hope to receive, what thank ye for sinners also lend to sinners, receive as much again. Now verse 35. But love your enemies and do good to them and lend, hoping for nothing again, and your reward will be great. And listen, and ye shall, listen what it says, and ye shall be the children of the highest, for he is kind unto the unthankful and unto the evil. Now let me ask you, are we children of God because of what we do? Or are we children of God because of the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ? We're children of God because of the grace of God. Amen. What is he saying here then? He's saying that when you do that which you cannot do naturally, when you love and you do good and you bless and you pray and you offer and you lend and you give yourself to men who will spitefully use you, you then will be identified as children of the highest. It's only then will you flourish in his identity. Why? Because he is kind. He furnishes useful goodness to the unthankful and the evil. Aren't you glad before you come into the kingdom of God that God was kind enough to reach down and set you apart and save you even when you was hostile enemies of his? Amen? You see, folks, it's when we are in fellowship with him and following his ways, following him in life, enabled by his grace, it's then and only then that we will flourish in his identity and we will become fishers of men. And as a result of that, you know what else will happen in our lives? If I was to ask you, who is the, what is the bulk of the, the scriptures written to? Let's just take the New Testament, for example. Who is the audience of the New Testament? It's the church, isn't it? It's the believers. Why is the bulk of the New Testament written toward believers? So that believers can be set free by the truth. Jesus said, you shall know the truth and the truth shall do what? Set you free. You know why God rescued you? Not only to fish for men, but also to free his people from the deceptive lies of this world. As he frees you, he launches you out to go help free someone else. There are people sitting in this place, this sanctuary this morning, that are still believing some of the lies of this world. And the reason you gather in a teaching setting and under the word of God is so that the truth will penetrate your heart and set you free from a lie that you've been believing that is out of tune with God's ways. And folks, God saved you to be part of that work. Amen. To free men from the lies of this world. Now, let me ask you, have you been involved in that? In freeing men? Have you been involved in fishing for men? Are we flourishing with the identity of Christ? Are we following the leadership of Jesus Christ? Are we living in intimate fellowship with Him? If we are, we can say with all integrity and honesty, with a good conscience... That I've been single-minded. 
in godly sincerity. I've lived the life that Jesus has set me apart to live. Yes, I stumbled along the way. Yes, I responded in a bad way when that, when that person responded negatively to me. I let them control my actions rather than the truth. But when God convicted me of that, I repented of that sin, got my heart in line with God, sought forgiveness with them, and accomplished what Jesus set me apart to do. Isn't that a blessing? Amen. Well, this past year, they had everything in my life that was given that could distract me. Let me just illustrate a couple things in particular. I pastored for seven and a half years and loved my church, loved pastoring them and seen God do great things. Got to see quite a few people come in the kingdom, baptized over 200 people while I was a pastor. And what a blessing that was for me. Now, was all those people, did they bear fruit worthy of repentance as time goes on? No, you've always heard the stories like this. I mean, you get a few dogs around the church, the easiest way to get rid of them is baptize them and they won't come back. Has that happened around here sometimes? Happens all over. That has happened with me. But I still gave the plea for men to repent and come to the Lord Jesus Christ. And I believe the parable of the soil and the seed, that yes, there are many that will receive the word with joy. Some won't understand. But there is that one that God will plant that seed in their heart and they'll produce a harvest and God will get glory from it. Amen. But you know what? I'm called to preach the gospel and to do it faithfully whether anybody responds to it or not. And I enjoyed pastoring and God interrupted my pastoral ministries and called me into evangelism and in this past year was our first year as the evangelist we had to move out of our our home the, the parsonage where I was pastoring moved into another parsonage God provided a church on Valley Road Mount Vernon Baptist Church many of you know where that's at you passed by it before on Valley Road they had a parsonage available for us invited us to come over the Lord's used that that has been a blessing in our lives because if if you know and those that know brother Kevin hey evangelism is a feast and famine type ministry. There's sometimes you go through a famine. And what I mean by that is resource-wise. God always provides and meets the needs. But you may not be overflowing with resources. Are you with me? God provided a home for us. We count that as a blessing. We had to move. We moved into a new home. Started a brand new ministry. Got involved with a brand new church. A lot of things could have been a distraction to, our, to my mind, pulled apart that I would have failed to give my life to seeking first the kingdom of God day after day, time after time, week after week. I can't change a year and I can't change what I've done in the past, but I can deal with what God gives me today. And what he's given me today is seek him first in his ways and I'll let him work everything else out. Amen. Then my son-in-law, at that time, my future son-in-law, asked me if he can come see me one day. I knew what he was coming for. I knew he was going to ask me if he can take my daughter's hand and have her in marriage and that he would provide for her and he would protect her and, and, and I would transfer that role over that, that God had given me to be the authority over Elizabeth's life and to, to, to be the blessing in her life, to help her know and, and know Jesus more intimately. And he comes and he asks me and I knew he was coming. And you know what I was doing that day? I was shooting my rifle. He called me. He said, can I come over? I said, boy, this is a good time. Come on over. 
He didn't tell me what he was coming for, but I had a feeling I knew what he was coming for. I was shooting the rifle. And I just felt led at that point when he was coming. I set up some targets and I, I made some. Y'all may know this story. I set up a few bullseyes on there and, and labeled each one of them, colored them different. And he come up and I told him, I said, uh, I said, Chris, won't you take a shot? And he shot. And I said, don't shoot that target over there. Shoot that one. He shot. He missed. So we sat down. I said, what you, what, you, what you need to talk with me about? We sat down, and he, he asked me, and we, we talked. And we knew it was coming. God had already prepared our hearts for it. It was a blessing for us. We, we, we love Chris. We love his family. We knew that God would use them in a tremendous way to advance his kingdom. And it was an exciting time. But I told him, I said, well, this is what we're going to have to do. Before I say yes, I've got four targets down there. You're going to have to hit all four. You done missed the first one. You're going to have to hit all four. They all stand for something. The first target is that you would love the Lord with all your heart. You, 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 will, you are committing to me today that this is what you are going to love the Lord Jesus Christ with all, you, with all that, that, that you could possibly muster up with the grace of God. The second one is, is you're going to love his word. To love him means to love his word, folks. That you're going to commit to spend time in His Word. You're going to have a secret place where you meet with the Lord every day and get in His Word to know Him more intimately, to make Him known. The third target is, is that you commit to love Elizabeth and you commit your life to her to provide for and protect her. And the fourth one is you're going to love God's people. You're going to, you're going to have to love God's people. You're committing to be in the fellowship of the Lord, whether He puts you in a place of ministry or not, you have a ministry already, and that is to be in the house of God with God's people. And that's only the start of it. That ain't the end of it. Folks, there's so much more than being right here today. Amen? This is not the end all of every week of gathering with God's people. It is a blessing to gather with God's people. But walking with Jesus is so much more than just gathering together once, twice, or three times a week. It is an everyday lifestyle. He committed to those. I told him, just take your time. Put your crosshairs right on the target. Just squeeze the trigger. He shot. Had a little chalk, I can tell, when he hit. A little chalk went. He hit, he hit it. He shot, hit all four. He, rejoiced. he was nervous. He was shaking. He was nervous. But we, we rejoiced over it. Well, through that time, then we went through the process. How many of you had a daughter get married? It's not cheap, amen? Are you with me? We could have been, I could have been personally distracted and torn apart, but I had to beat my body into subjection to seek first the kingdom of God and His righteousness. I could have been easily misled and could have easily got off course. Not only that, but we were traveling and preaching and going from church to church. And preaching through all this event and the new ministry, new church, teaching new classes in a new church, doing all kind of new things. It was exciting, but could have got, I could have easily been distracted from it. I could have tortured myself and been torn apart in it. Had to buy a new vehicle. You know, vehicles aren't cheap, amen? Had to buy, I had to buy a new vehicle and have a, got, had a daughter get married in the same year and, and God provided for it all. Isn't that a blessing? We give him the glory for it. 
He foresaw way before I was going into evangelism and he was going to lead me in evangelism. And he prepared and set, a thing, set aside things so that we can do what we've done for his glory and for his praise. Not only that, the Lord put it on my heart to write a book. And I was able to write a book. And I brought these because it was upon request to bring them to make them available to y'all today. I started writing this book in April of this past year. Turned the manuscript in, in July, on July 17th of this year. And I got the books two and a half weeks ago back. So it's been a long process of what God has done. And the books are, are being put in people's hands, getting great free feedback from it. It's a written witness. And the whole point is, is to help God's people grow closer to him and go make him known to a world around them. Could have easily been distracted by that. So many things in our life that could have tore me apart. But this is some of the things that I did that helped me not get distracted. Just want to share them with you as we close this morning. The first one is, is that I made a point. I made a commitment a long time ago when God rescued my life, when he saved me. That I would live in intimate fellowship with him. That I would seek his face each and every day. I love the word of God. But I love the author first and foremost. So therefore it drives me to seek his face. And through seeking his face, he's given us a revelation of himself. And as he calls me into that secret place day in and day out, morning after morning, he awakeneth me and brings me in and he teaches me. His truths. And I believe that this is how he wants every one of us to live. Why do I say that? This is how Jesus lived. Doesn't the scripture say that they often found Jesus early in the morning? Sometimes before daylight, before others had gotten up. Where would he be? In a deserted place, on a mountainside, somewhere. He would be what? In prayer with his heavenly father. And if the king of kings and lord of lords, our great God and savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, the champion of truth, if he got up morning from morning and met with his heavenly father and we're being predestined to be conformed to his image, don't you think that each one of us ought to have a secret place where we ought to go meet with God each and every day to glean a word from him, to know what he would have us to do for that day, to walk with him? Yes, I believe so. And that's such a, a heartbeat of our ministry and of who we are is to help God's people learn how to seek first the kingdom. Get in the presence of God. Hear from him. Seek him. But the scripture says if you're a hearer of the word and not a doer of the word, something's wrong. Amen. The second thing is you need to involve in your life what God teaches you in that secret place. Got to work it out. Got to go live it out. You have to be obedient. You got to be a doer of the word, not only a hearer. Now, like in our sanctuary, where we are right here, this can be an intimate place with the Lord where you meet with him. God speaks to your heart. But if you don't go involve that in your life when you leave here on that mission field, you will lose what God spoke to you. Are you with me? You'll lose it. If you don't go give it away, there's a principle. Give and it shall be what? given back to you, good measure, pressed down, shaken together. Go involve it in your life. Go share. When Brother Robert preaches, your Sunday school teacher teaches, your discipleship training, whatever study you're in, whatever you're doing, whatever God reveals to your heart, when he releases you, you go involve it in your life. Live it out. The third thing is, is to learn how to intercede. To be in prayer with the people, God's going to put you in contact in a given day. Interceding that God's going to use you 
to have an, uh, an impact on their life. Number four, you need to insist that when you share those things he shared with you, you need to insist they know where it came from. You need to point them to him. Amen. You don't need to get the glory for it. You don't need them to think you're more wiser than somebody else. You just tell them, look, I just, I just met with my heavenly father. And this is what he gave me to go give away. And I want, I want to insist that you know where this came from. Take them to the word of God. Invest it in their lives. Number five. Invest it in them. Pour it out. Be a sower. Sow it into them. But don't never fail to invite them to come follow the Lord that you're following. Invite them to come. Isn't that, isn't that what fishers of men do? They, they invite people to come follow Jesus. Invite them to come with you. Invite them to walk with you. Tell them how you spend time with him. I've surveyed people everywhere I've gone and asked this question. Would you be able to say that your personal, intimate, quiet time and how you involve the things that God speaks with you, is it worthy for someone else to imitate? Could you take someone else and bring them to your home, let them stay with you and live with you, and let them practice what you practice every day of your life, of how you are having an influence upon the people around you and what you're doing in life? Could you do that? Would you be willing to do that? kind of puts another twist on it, doesn't it? You see, the believer's life is to be an open life. Open and exposed that people can see and look in and know what's going on in your life. I'm just telling you the way that I live my daily life, how God has prevented and helped me from being distracted and torn apart because we're all just as prone as, as the other of being easily tortured in our mind. Mothers having to raise little ones, Cook, provide, take care of. Many mamas work outside the home. How many mamas work outside the home? It's got to be. Mamas always work. I'm saying outside the home. There ain't never a time mama's not working. Amen? Husbands, but you, you should have said amen on that. That was a great opportunity. Amen? They're always at work. But you can easily get distracted. And fail to realize that those little ones God's put in your life are future disciples whom you are starting right now to invest your life into. Because they're watching. If you want to know why your teenagers or, or why your young adults get out of the house of God and run away, because they've watched y'all. They've watched you. You know why they're not passionately pursuing the face of God and are zealous and celebrate the goodness of God and not ashamed to shout and, and give glory to Him? Because they've watched people. They've learned from somebody. Amen? Folks, we ought to be the most zealous, excited, loving and caring people on the face of the earth who are so passionate about their Jesus that everybody knows. You see, you need to invest it in their lives. Some of our children and grandchildren, I hope I get some grandchildren soon. But I know some of our grandchildren, they know how to kill a deer or skin a deer better than they do know how to share the gospel because a grandpa has taught them how to hunt and how to fish, how to go down the river, how to float. 
uh, the river, the creek, whatever it may be. They know how to skin deer. They know how to kill deer. They know how to plant fields. They know how to plant tomato bushes. They know how to do all that. Some of you granddaughters and, and all, they know how to go to Hudson's and dirt cheap and find the best bargains that they can possibly find, but they don't know how to help somebody with the truth. Why? Because somebody hadn't taught them. And if we're teaching them things of this world, Rather than the things that have an eternal value to them, folks, it is obvious that we're not seeking first the kingdom. Amen. And what is the answer? The answer is repentance. Turning. Acknowledging and saying, Lord, I, I got, my conscience has condemned me. Lord, I haven't, I can't rejoice. My life is not an, an evidence of seeking first the kingdom of God. But you are compassionate and merciful toward me, and I know that you are, and every day is a new day with you. Your tender mercies fail not. You are so kind, and I can turn from that today, but I want it to be as our song was earlier in Ebenezer, to let today be a landmark in your life where you set your heart on seeking first the kingdom of God. And the seventh thing that I did was indulge my life day in and day out in those things which are true and honest and worthy and noble. Staying away from things that will infiltrate my mind that will hurt me and despise and mock the kingdom of God. We're in in the most serious business on the face of the earth, and that is making disciples. And we need to take it serious. For some of you in here today, it's shot right over your head. Why? Because some of you are what the Bible will call in darkness. There's blinders, a veil over your heart. And my prayer is, is that God would speak light in you today and expose the fact that Jesus Christ spilt his blood to forgive you of your sin, but gave his life for your life. Not part of your life, not some of your life, but all of your life. Surrender to him today. He is Lord. He is Master. For some of you, it was a revelation that you said, that's me. I've gotten complacent and settled down in this world. But I believe God's called me to repent today and step out and follow after him. Some of you might need to still unite with this fellowship here to have an impact on this world. Right here at Pleasant Hill. I believe this is a, a vibrant church that's going to do great things for the kingdom. It's my prayer. And I pray that God will connect our hearts together to be able to work together and see what God's going to do. But I plead with you on the mercy of God today to make a commitment. To not get caught up in everything around you, but seek first the kingdom of God. Become single-minded on your pursuit. As I close in this invitation, our instrumentalists, y'all can come. And as a pastor and as in the ministry, there's oftentimes you've got to do funerals and those types of things when people pass away. You know one of the most difficult and hardest things in the world to do is preach a funeral where there was always an element of doubt. Did this individual know the Lord Jesus Christ. Yes, they may have been belonged to the church. Yes, they may have been on the pew. 
Yes, they've made a decision in the past. Yes, they identified in baptism. All those things, yes, they did. But folks, they didn't daily follow a deliverer who come to set them free. And our faith is only worth the object we put it in. If I'm banking my faith on what I've done and the decision I've made, I'm only fooling myself. My faith ought to be in a deliverer who I've heard say, come, follow me. And that grace that rescued me has empowered me to take up the cross and deny myself daily and follow him. There's no greater joy for a pastor to know that when he does a funeral for somebody, that it goes without question, without merit. This person was an absolute love of Jesus Christ. He loved his word because it was filled, his word filled his heart and his mind, his life. Word flowed out of him. He loved God's people. And he had love enough for the lost that he went out into the world to see people rescued. Why? Because he himself was rescued by Jesus. I want to ask you today, where, where are you? Where, where are we? Has this year been a distraction to us? Today can be the beginning of a great new life of seeking first the kingdom of God. Would you stand with me?